finish this chapter tonight. And we'll get into chapter 6 next week. And a couple of things, church, before we get into the message this evening. Appreciate the church praying for uh, one of our uh, ladies, Lauralee Clapham, and just her housing situation. And uh, she was able to get, um, get uh, a place to, to be able to rent and live. And I uh, just wanted to ask the, the church to just be praying for her. She's going to be moving in the next couple of weeks. And so if you're able to um, just give yourself, uh, give, give some time to help. I think it's on the 18th, Lord willing. Um, but we'll let you know. But then also just uh, be mindful it, couple of, uh, I guess a month ago or so, we asked if we could give towards helping her get, get settled into her new place. Uh, it looks like with her, her new rental, she's going to be about a thousand, uh, just a little bit over a thousand dollars a year short of her, of her ability to pay for that. And so I just wanted to mention that to the church. If uh, the Lord will, will touch your heart to give towards that, then just designate that and we'll make sure that gets to her over the course of the next couple of um, weeks and months. And then uh, it was a blessing to have the, the tenants this morning as well. I know that uh, many of you have been praying for them. Um, they've been going through some health battles over the last couple of months. And it was good to see them this morning. And it was a blessing, actually. I was outside with um, just saying hello to Colin and then to Sheena. And she mentioned to me today that she just uh, had a witnessing opportunity this week. It was a blessing. And she said that she was at the hairdresser. And her hairdresser was asking her what, what away in a manger means. And she was able to give a, a, a summary of, of what the song meant, but really what it was all about. It was about the gospel, about the Lord. And that was a blessing. She said, you know, I, I thought of calling you. Maybe you could have gone a little bit further. And I told her, Sheena, why don't you just book your next hair appointment with me? And then I will, uh, I will go with you. All right, so... Uh, you pray for me there. I might, you might not recognize me after that. But uh, We read here a couple of verses, and, and last week we looked at uh, the preceding verses about really how, how it is that, that we are to behave towards leadership in the church. And we spoke about how really, as he lays out that whole definition of double honor, he laid out firstly the expectations that, that were to be on the, the leadership, and really it was to rule well. And, and then also then we saw some specializations that the leadership should have had, should have, and that's the study and then the presentation of the Word of God. He said that to, that, that to especially those who labor in the Word and doctrine. And then we saw two illustrations of, of how that was. It was the ox and the laborer. And so now we're going into the, the rest of it. He's still dealing with elders in verse 19. And, and really from verse 19 right down to the end of the the chapter, he gives some general advice about some specific things in the church. And, and what we see is, is Paul giving Timothy some general advi advice on to handle certain things that was happening in the church, and really even him personally. And, and here what we see really is, is that Paul instructing Timothy with practical counsel. And part of, uh, part of the, really the goal of developing right leadership in the church and, and getting that, uh, the right behaviors in the church is to be able to give practical counsel about certain matters. And so really in, a, in any mentor and mentee relationship, what closeness does when, when we add that to that mix is it breeds some specific, specific, uh, specific things that, that we can 
uh, we can advise our, those that we're mentoring. And, and indeed, Timothy was given some specifics to help him in his responsibilities in the church. And so he goes on and notice verse 19 as we get into it. Um, verses 19 to 22 deals with somewhat, somewhat a, a, at times a sensitive issue. And what it is is accusations against elders or pastors. And notice again in verse 19, against an elder receive not an accusation, but before two or three witnesses, them that sin rebuke before all, that others also may fear. And so in the first place, we see here uh, that, that he gives instruction in regard to how to handle accusations against elders in the church, against those who have been called to, to lead and to govern and to oversee the work of the church. And really, at times, criticism of elders is a favorite spectator sport. And therefore, because of the understanding of the, the, the human condition, the human nature, he, he directs Timothy on how to behave when it comes to accusation of leadership. And so church members, perhaps, who gripe about decisions that, that leaders make promote dissent and dissatisfaction. And so knowing this, he gives instruction to stop such talk. He outlines the way in which elders are to be confronted with sin or unwise decisions that, or wrongdoing that they may have done. And, and we know this, that being in leadership doesn't make anyone immune from wrong. We're not breeding a, a culture in this church, and, and the, the Bible doesn't breed a culture in the church where uh, those in leadership, uh, elders and pastors, uh, have no restriction or have no bounds, and they're, they're not accountable to anyone. He, he gives that there, but there's also a, a right way to confront when there's accusations involved. And we understand, again, that they're not immune from wrong. And, and so Paul teaches a balance here because leadership should also not just get away with judgment for wrong. So the, so the, the, the specific thing in question here is not, is not clear in, in the Scriptures. And, and so really when we look at this, it applies to general wrongdoing in the part of the leader. And, and firstly, I want you to note there was an internal dealing. Notice what he says there in verse 19, against an elder receive not an accusation, but before two or three witnesses. So note there with me that, that this, this, is, this should be a familiar pattern to us all, because really when it came down to it, right from, right from God's reading of the law in the, in the Old Testament, right through the affirmations of Christ, this was the general practice that everyone should take regarding relationships in the church, relating to anything that is of an accusatory nature. And so look with me in Deuteronomy chapter 19, and I want to show you this pattern for us in Scripture. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 19, and look at verse 15, and we'll turn to a few different places here just to see a pattern developing for us. We see verse, verse 15, One witness shall not rise up against a man for any iniquity or for any sin in any sin that he sinneth. And notice this, At the mouth of two witnesses or at the mouth of three witnesses shall the matter be established. And so he's, he's showing some wisdom. And in fact, this was civic law given to the nation of Israel that if there was any accusation against anyone in regard to iniquity and sin, that there had to be an establishment of that between two or three witnesses. And so you might, you might look at that and go, well, well, Pastor, we understand that's the, that's the Old Testament that's under the law, we're under grace. But you, you notice a pattern developing 
uh, how Jesus then affirms it. Look at Matthew chapter 18. And I think we're familiar with these passages because really this is how we ought to be dealing with any grievances between uh, every one of us. And notice verse, uh, verse, um, verse 16 with me. Actually, look at verse 15. So Matthew chapter 18, and this is now the Lord Jesus teaching. He says, Moreover, if thy brother shall trespass against thee, go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. If he shall hear thee, thou hast gained thy brother. So he's saying, go to that person first, do it in private, and, and then, and then uh, go through and, and talk about what, what the grievance is, what that trespass is. Notice now verse 16, But if he will not hear thee, then take with thee one or two more, that in the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. So Jesus was then quoting, and really what he was doing was affirming for us that that still holds, that that is still a good pattern to hold when it comes to trespasses and accusations. Then look at John chapter 8. Look at John chapter 8, another place in Scripture where the Lord Jesus is teaching this. In verse 17, John 8, 17, says, It is also written in your law that the testimony of two men is true. So again, he's affirming things based on what he had previously said and affirming that it still applies. Now look at 2 Corinthians chapter 13. Now Paul, who is the, uh, really the, the one that God has entrusted to give New Testament doctrine to the local church, is now echoing this and affirming this. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 13. Look at verse 1. So quickly turn there and then we'll go back to 1 Timothy chapter 5. Notice what he says. This is the third time I am coming to you. In the mouth of two or three witnesses shall every word be established. 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 1. So he says, this is the third time I'm coming to you. There, there were certain things that they were still dealing with. And he's saying here, in the mouth of two or three witnesses shall every word be established. And again, he's, he's, he's holding the, the leadership to that same accountability. But, but that's across the board. It's not spe specifically just really given to the leadership. It's given to all when it comes to studying it out through, through the, the way uh, New Testament church should be run. And so now he's saying here in, in, in 1 Timothy chapter 5, though, against an elder. So what Paul was directing his readers to do they, was this, they should not entertain accusations against elders unless two or three witnesses agreed to give evidence of that wrongdoing, of that trespass, of that accusation. And again, this was consistent with the biblical teaching of accusations leveled at other members of the church family. And, and it seems reasonable then for us to, to assume on the basis of, of those other scriptures in Matthew 18, John 8, and 2 Corinthians chapter 13, that if they could deal with the problem adequately without involving the whole congregation, they should do so. And that's what he was teaching there. He's saying there, you know, against an elder received, he's saying don't jump the gun. But then he then says in verse 19, notice there, not only was there an internal dealing, there was an external disciplining. And, and you know, one of the things that we, we, don't, we don't practice, I believe, often enough is this thing of church discipline. In fact, we don't like that term as adults. We think that's really tabled to a for and only for the younger generation. 
But actually, it's very clear in Scripture. And, and in fact, even those that have been called to leadership in the church is not immune. And he's saying there, there's an external disciplining in verse 20. So when you find that internal dealing that there is sin involved, there is wrongdoing, notice what verse 20 says, them that sin rebuke before all that others also may fear. That's the result of it. Not, not to, to name and shame, but that others may also fear. It wasn't to diminish the leader per se, but it was to, to, to show an example of humility, but then also an example that not, no one is immune from, from being judged for wrong. And, you know, sometimes there's a culture in church where, where, where there's a certain tier that is above, above any kind of reproach. But, but the reality is that we're still all human beings. We, we all, at times, need to be corrected. And even in the case of those that he calls elders or those who he calls bishops, those who he calls pastors and elders, even they are not immune from this. And he's saying there that there needs to be an external disciplining. And, and following a private rebuke, those who, who sin should be publicly rebuked. And this procedure would also discourage others from committing the same sin. This would certainly be, a, a, if you think about it, a harrowing experience for any church. And because of that, great care needs to be exercised before this, before this is done. And if you study the word sin in this sense, here it has the meaning of being persistently erring. That means they, they're unrepentant of a certain thing that was being dealt with. So this step should only be taken if the leadership or the, the, the pastor or the elder in question has shown a lack of regard for the wrong or continual sin in, in, his, uh, in his situation. And so we see there that, that he gives advice then to, to, the, uh, to Timothy about how to do this both internally and externally. But then notice verse 21. He says this, he says to Timothy, I charge thee before God. And the Lord Jesus Christ and the elect angels that thou observe these things without preferring one before another, doing nothing by partiality. So this is directly connected to how to deal with, with those uh, in, in leadership who have done wrong. And he's saying here really with deep seriousness. Notice what he says, I charge thee before God, before the Lord Jesus Christ and the elect angels. You know what he's saying there? All of heaven. He's saying take this so seriously before all of heaven, and notice what he says, don't do it, don't do it with any kind of pre preference or partiality. And so what he gives is a direct imperative. This is a charge with deep seriousness. It, and really, what this is, it's a warning for Timothy, who really came in to organize and help the church in the things that were happening in the, uh, in, in, there in Ephesus. And he, he was a warning for Timothy not to do it with any kind of, of preference or partiality. He, he was to do it without any kind of bias or misgiving in his own heart about another. And, you know, no doubt, as you think about Timothy's situation, he, he was in there having to already address existing issues in the church. And he was there, perhaps he would have spent time with some of those different uh, pastoral uh, staff or elders in the church, and he would have had to deal with some things, and no doubt, just as human nature can be, there's certain things that, certain personalities that great against other personalities. 
there's certain people that would have similar associations perhaps. And he was warning Timothy, don't deal with it with any partiality. Remember that you have a cloud of witnesses, including God, the Lord Jesus Christ, and the elect angels. He's saying all of heaven is watching. It's not just the congregation. He's saying you're accountable to the whole of heaven watching. And he's saying don't do it with any kind of preference or partiality. He was to do it without any kind of bias. He was to do it without any kind of favor for or connection with another. And the word preferring here means, in this case, a prejudgment or showing prejudice ahead of time. He came in with already, he says, don't come in with an idea already about how to handle this. He said, come with a clear conscience about this. And so he gives that direct imperative in verse 21. But then really... What he gives Timothy in verse 22 is then this, it's, it's considered prevention. And what he says here is, is really connected to all of that. He says, lay hands suddenly on no man, neither be partaker of other men's sins, keep thyself pure. So in the second part, he's saying don't partake of it, don't, don't look at it, at it as if you could get away with it also. He's saying keep yourself pure. But notice the imperative, uh, the, 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 the command he gives in Verse 22, lay hands suddenly on no man. That's referring to elevating someone to that position of elder. That's referring to those that, uh, what he says in 1 Timothy chapter 3 uh, about not laying hands on a novice. He's saying, consider that. And what, what this is, is sometimes prevention is the best medicine. He's saying before you go to, uh, to add these ones in the eldership, in the pastorate, uh, in, in the bishopric, make sure that you, don't, you, you consider their maturity, consider the fact that they, they are, uh, are at the place where they can lead with distinction. And a uh, commentator said it this way, Paul also urged Timothy to minimize the possibility of elder failure by being extremely careful about whom he appointed in the first place. Laying on hands in this context probably refers to public ordination. Another, another view is that it refers to the restoration of repentant fallen elders. A person who appoints a deficient candidate to offer shares his guilt when his unacceptability surfaces. And that's why it's a, it's a good thing to, again, to, when it comes to ordination, to get the witness of the church, the witness of other ministers who who recognize a gifting and recognize, uh, recognize the maturity in a person uh, prior to them taking office. And he's saying that prevention here in this case is the best medicine. Saying don't just rush into and then appoint those that, that really are unworthy and then are deficient in their candidacy in regard to eldership, in regard to the pastor, the bishopric. And so there's a considered prevention. But then notice what he says in verse 23. Not only does he give some advice regarding accusations leveled at those in leadership, pastors, but then he gives a personal health tip. And it's interesting to me, you know, some people will use verse 23 to justify drinking. And, uh, and, and notice what he says, drink no longer water. But use a little wine. And you know, some people will stop there. But he says, 
for thy stomach's sake and thine often infirmities. It's interesting that in the dealing of this, and, and I think about those preceding verses, those for Timothy must be some of the heaviest things he must bear when it comes to leading a church, is when he has to discipline those that are in partnership with him in leading the church. And he was, no doubt, as we know about Timothy already, he was a man who was prone to illness. He was already a man who, upon Paul's remembrance, in his mind was someone who was prone to weakness and illness. And in dealing with all of this, he now turns his attention to his young protege's health. And I think this is an indirect issue of Timothy's and any pastor's ability to do the job. See, your health can at times affect your ability to judge rightly and lead willingly. That's what he was saying to Timothy. You know, you're handling some heavy things here, Timothy. So how's your health? How are you? What, what sort of things? And, and he's giving some general advice. Um, Philip said this in his commentary of this verse. He says, poor health might have contributed to Timothy's tendency to take the line of least resistance. And remember, Timothy's, Timothy's, uh, Timothy's reason for going to Paul in the first place was to ask for some help in some tough matters in the church. And so he understood Timothy's hand here was, was a little weakened. He understood then the, the need for there to be addressed in, uh, in this regard, uh, an issue in, in Timothy's life about his health. And what he was saying to the, to the pastor here was, take care of your health. That's what he was saying. This was not an allowance for alcohol. Can I make that clear? This was not an allowance for alcohol. This was a remedy that Paul was suggesting for a specific illness. Many scholars believe that the water quality in Ephesus really was the cause of, of Timothy's ill health. And hence the suggestion from Paul for Timothy to take wine for medical purposes. And, and wine, even in an unfermented sense here, has healing properties. It's, there's, a, there's a cleanliness about that. And uh, someone said it this way, we must remember that wine was one of the chief remedial agents of those times in which the science of medicine was in its, in its infancy among Greek physicians. So there wasn't, you know, you couldn't just go down to the local chemist and get some, um, you know, whatever the medication is for stomachs, Tums, <laughs> I don't know. Um, you, they, you couldn't just go down and go to the doctor and go, hey doc, what's wrong with me? And get something. No, no, Paul, and again, by the way, can I just remind you, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, puts this verse in. He says, in the context of all that you're doing, Timothy, your health is, is imperative. It's important if you're going to handle these things correctly. And so Paul gives the remedy of taking a bit of wine or, or the, the, the grape juice there for my stomach's sake. The, the word infirmities that Timothy had dealt with here were his weaknesses and attacks of illness. And again, that would take care of, of those stomach issues that, that uh, Timothy surely must, must have had. And what Paul was saying to Timothy was this, take the necessary means to arrest it. Timothy, you've got a lot of things on your plate. You've got a lot of things that you have to look over and, look, uh, and oversee. And listen, Timothy, you might be tempted to just neglect this and just sort of walk it off, so to speak. 
just keep on going. But he says, take care of it. Take necessary means to arrest it. The fact that Timothy had to be instructed to take wine probably meant he was wary of the connotations of it. However, in this case, that had to take a back seat. And you know, often leaders are stubborn to deal with health issues for fear that others will judge. And this advice recorded in Scripture negates such notions. Paul was saying, do everything necessary to be in good health. And that's why it's a good idea for uh, any kind of leadership, pastors included, uh, to take breaks. And, and sometimes it's sad, pastors who never take breaks. Pastors and ministry workers who run themselves into the ground, they're not good examples. They only cost themselves their effectiveness to actually do the work of God. And so you only have one body to serve God in. And so he's saying to Timothy, take care of your health. But then notice verses 24 to 25. Notice he says, some men's sins are open beforehand, going before to judgment. He says, and some men they follow after. Likewise also the good works of some are manifest beforehand, and they that are otherwise cannot be hid. And he's saying here, you have a certain perspective on, on judgment. And really what Paul, what Paul was saying to Timothy was, you know, all of this, you're going to have to judge. You're going to have to make decisions. You're going to have to sift through all of the information given you. And, and, and Timothy, you're going to have to deal with this. You, you don't neglect it. You don't just let it just sort of fester. You're going to have to deal with it. And he, he says in the first place, some men sins. And we see here in the negative, judgment of sin. And we say some men's sins are open beforehand. That means deal with the obvious Deal with obvious and outward. Deal with it. And then he says for other things though, he says, and some men they follow after. He's saying there that there's some things that they're not, they're not easily discerned. You've got to wait for time. You've got to wait for, for, their, uh, for a process. And he's saying wait out others that are not. Those that aren't quite obvious. And, and the judgment will come. But then notice in verse 25, the positive of it, judgment of good works, says, likewise also the good works of some are manifest beforehand. And they that are otherwise cannot be hid. And he's saying there similarly with good works, you know, they may produce good or fruit immediately, but others in time. And, and can I just remind you what he's saying? He says, therefore, in, in 1 Corinthians 4, 5, therefore judge nothing before the time. And sometimes we, we do ourselves a disservice in making quick judgment. You know, before we know all the facts. And we just go ahead and we action. But he's saying, you know, some things are laid open. Some are not. And those things, you've got to wait. Those things, you've got to let it come through. And Timothy is being cautioned, don't presume the mind of God if it, it isn't eminently clear. So if it is, deal with it. If it is in the good work side, applaud it. If not, wait. God is the judge. And whilst I've called you to judge, I've called you to look at these things and, and there's certain areas here you're going to have to follow through with. You're going to have to advise the, the church family about certain things. We're saying wait it out at times. Don't just be so quick to you know, oh, that's this. No, sometimes it's hidden. And sometimes you're going to have to just wait it out. 
And some men they follow after. And they that are otherwise cannot be hid. And so he's saying in both in the negative, the judgment of sin and the positive. You know, if it is, deal with it, applaud it. If not, wait. God, God will make it clear in time. And so he, he goes through that and really he's given what it is the pastoral duties in the church in regard to the church family, in regard to family relationships. And really he's gone through, the, gone through a, whole, a whole heap of people here. And, and what I want to say is that we, we must stay true to the imperatives of the Word of God. And, and at the end, I think it's a fitting, fitting ending there. He says about judgment, if it's clear, deal with it. If it's not, then wait. And God will make it eminently clear in His time. All right, let's pray. And Father, thank You, Lord, for the time this evening, again, to open Your Word. And thank You, Lord, for the learning that we can, uh, Lord, we're instructed with. And Father, I thank You that, um, Lord, it's so relevant and powerful for us, even in our day. Lord, You're so specific. And so I pray that You'd help us, dear God, as we really just, just continue on, Lord, to serve you, that we would just take heed to the, the, the Word of God and help us, Lord, to apply it in, in this church, in our lives. And we pray and ask these things in Christ's most precious, holy, wonderful name. Amen. All right, let's